Section 25 of The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch. Two Boys. I dare say they never saw and perhaps never will see one another. I met them on separate railway journeys, and the dates are divided by five years almost. One boy was travelling third class, the other first. The age of each, when I made his very slight acquaintance with the one I did not even exchange a word, was about fourteen. Almost certainly their lives and their stories have no connection outside of my thoughts but I think of them often, and together. They have grown up. The younger will be a man by this time. If I met them now, their altered faces would probably be quite strange to me. And yet, the two boys remain my friends, and that is why I take leave to include them among these stories of my friends. Part 1 The first boy, I never heard his name, was seated in the third-class smoking carriage when I joined my train at Plymouth. Seated beside his mother, an overheated countrywoman in a state of subsiding fussiness, we had a good five minutes to wait, but as such women always will, she had made a bolt for the first door within reach. Of course, she found herself in a smoking compartment, and of course, she disliked tobacco, but could not, although she made two false starts, make up her mind to change she had dropped upon one of the middle seats and dragged her boy down into the next thus leaving me the only vacant corner the others were occupied by a couple of drovers and a middle-aged man with a newspaper which he read column by column advertisements and all without raising his eyes for a moment the guard just outside the carriage door had his whistle to his lips and his green flag lifted ready to wave when the woman asked, Can anyone tell me if this train goes to London? The drovers and I assured her that it did. It stops at Bristol, doesn't it? My ticket is for Bristol. The train was in motion by this time. We set her mind at ease. She opened a limp basket, called a frail, I believe, produced an apple, and offered it to the boy. He shook his head. He was a passably good-looking coltish boy in a best suit which he had outgrown, and a hard black hat, the brim of which annoyed him when he leaned back. A binding of black braid advertised what it was meant to conceal, that the cuffs of his jacket had been lengthened, and yet as he sat with his hands crossed in his lap, he displayed a good deal of wrist. His eyes took my liking at once, eyes of a good grey-black or, shall I say, of a grey with fine glooms in it. They looked at you straight, but without staring, neither furtively nor with embarrassment, nor curiously, nor again sleepily, but with that rare blend of candour and reserve which allowed you to see that he was thinking his own thoughts, and had no reason to be ashamed of them. Having taken stock of us, he gazed thoughtfully out of the window, his mother sighed from time to time, and searched her basket to make sure that this, that, or the other trifle had not been left behind. 
the drovers conversed apart the middle-aged man who sat facing the engine read away pertinaciously at his newspaper which he kept folded small by reason of the strong southerly breeze playing in through the open window and i divided my attention between the landscape and the map at the beginning of stevenson's kidnapped then barely a week old a delight to be approached with trepidation so we were sitting when the train crawled over the metals beyond tynemouth station gathered speed and swung into full view of the open sea as the first strong breath of it came rushing in at the window i heard a shuffle of feet the boy had risen and with his eyes was asking our leave to stand by the door i drew in my knees to make way for him and so after a moment did the middle-aged man he did not thank us but stepped past politely enough and stood with his hand on the leathern window strap i stared out of a little side window wondering what had caught his attention and while i wondered suddenly the child broke into song it was the queerest artless performance it had no tune in it no intelligible words it was just a chant rising and falling as the surf at the base of the sea-wall boomed and tossed its spray on the wind fanning his face and while he chanted his serious eyes devoured the blue leagues right away to the horizon the drovers at the far end of the compartment turned their faces inward and grinned the middle-aged man looked across at me behind the boy's back with a half-smile and resumed his reading the mother laughed apologetically tis his way he won't be so crazed for it in a few weeks time i reckon he's going up to bristol to be bound apprentice to his uncle his uncle's master of a sailing ship but the boy did not hear there are four or five tunnels in the red sandstone between tonmouth and dawlish and through these he sang on in a low repressed voice which broke out high and clear and strong as we swept again into the large wind and sunshine at dawlish station we drew up for a minute and the porter on the up platform nodded to one of the drovers and asked what's the matter with ee in there nothing nothing we got a smokin concert on said the drover across the rails a group waiting for the down train stood and stared at the boy whispered and smiled and i can still recall the fascinated gaze of a plump urchin of six as he gripped with one hand a wooden spade and with the other his mother's skirt but the boy sang on heedless and still sang on as we left dawlish behind there was no jubilation in his chant but through it all there ran and rang out from time to time a note of high challenge perhaps i read too much in it for in the heart of a boy many thoughts sing together before they come to birth and to the destinies we see so distinctly he marches through a haze drawn onward by incommunicable yearnings but as unseen by him i glanced up at his blown hair and eager parted lips the chant seemed to grow articulate o oh, see i am coming o oh, fate waiting and waited for i salute you friend or adversary we meet to try each other for your wonders i have eyes for your trials a heart 
use me for i am ready as we turned inland and ran beside the shore of the x his song died down and ceased for a while he stood conning the river the boats the red cliffs and whitewashed towns on the farther bank and so as we came in sight of the cathedral towers stepped back and dropped into his seat well now said his mother you be a funny boy for a moment he did not seem to hear then started and came out of his daydream with a furious blush i looked away part two the second boy wore a well-cut eton suit and sat in the smoking compartment of a padded corridor carriage with a silk-lined overcoat beside him and a silver-mounted suitcase in the rack above he was not smoking nor was he reading but he sat on a great pile of papers and magazines and stared straight in front of him that is to say straight at me his stare though constant and unrelenting was not in the least offensive it had no curiosity in it he had obviously been contemplating the cushions before i intruded and since i had chosen to occupy his field of vision he contemplated me i had no speaking acquaintance with the boy but he bore the features of his family and his initials were on the suitcase above so i knew him for the only son of a man who had once shown me civility the youngest and least extravagantly wealthy of three rich brothers since one of these brothers had never married and now was not likely to it lay beyond guessing what wealth the boy would inherit some day he was by no means ill-looking and quite certainly no fool his face carried the stamp of his father's ability it puzzled me what he could be doing with that pile of papers and magazines or why having burdened himself with them he should choose to sit and stare instead of reading them for his station lay but a twenty minutes run below mine and it was impossible that in the time he could have glanced through the half of them he had been staring at me or through me maybe for half an hour when our train slowed down and came to a standstill above the steep valley between bodmin road and doublebois after a couple of minutes wait the boy rose and went to the window in the corridor to see what was happening and i took this opportunity to glance across at the papers scattered on the vacant seat they included three or four sixpenny and threepenny magazines a large illustrated paper black and white i think half a dozen penny weeklies titbits answers pearson's weekly castle's saturday journal i forget what others halfpenny papers in a heap all kinds of cuts snippets siftings echoes snapshots and sidelights pars about people christian sweepings our happy fireside and the masher many lay face downward coyly hiding their titles but disclosing such headlines as facts about the flag books which have influenced the bishop of london he gave him fits our unique competition mr cecil rhodes a powerful personality and what becomes of old stage scenery in the midst of my survey the train began to move forward again and the boy came back to his seat 
it's only some plate layers on the viaduct he explained they held up their flag against us i suppose they were just finishing a job nasty place to leave the rails said i glancing over the parapet upon the green treetops fifty feet below us i was thinking that said he and a queer tremor in his young voice made me glance at him sharply and then suddenly i understood or thought i did you at any rate are pretty well insured said i twenty thousand pounds and a little over the coupons cost four and two pence altogether and then at the end of the journey you can use up all the reading wonderful i kept a serious face and i suppose all this time you've been staring at me amazed by the recklessness of your elders he flushed slightly have i been staring i beg your pardon i'm sure it's a trick i have i begin thinking of things and then thinking i suppose of how it would feel to be in a collision or what it would be like to leap such a parapet as that and find ourselves dropping dropping into space but you shouldn't really it isn't healthy in a boy like you and if you'll listen to one who has known what nerves are it may too easily grow to mean something worse but it isn't that exactly he protested though of course all that comes into it i'm not a a funk sir i was thinking more of the of what would come afterwards you know oh dear i groaned to myself it's worse than ever here's a little prig worrying about his soul i shouldn't advise you to trouble about that either i said aloud but i don't trouble about it he hesitated and stumbled into a burst of confidence you see i'm no good at games athletics and and that sort of thing again he stopped and i nodded to encourage him and i'm no swell at schoolwork either i went to school late and after home it all seemed so young if you understand i thought i did with his polite grown-up manner i could understand his isolation among the urchins the masters and all the interests of an ordinary school but my father you know him don't you he's disappointed about it he'd like me to bring home prizes or cups i don't think he'd mind what it was so long as he could be proud about it of course he never says anything but a fellow gets to know i dare say you're right i said but what has this to do with insuring yourself for twenty thousand pounds well you see i'm to go into the bank some day and i expect my father thinks i shall be just as big a duffer at that i know he does but i'm not if he'd only trust me a bit so now if we were to smash up collide go off the rails run over a bridge or something of that sort just think how he'd feel when he found out i'd cleared twenty thousand by it so that's what you were picturing to yourself he nodded that and the smash and all i kept saying now if it comes this moment and i wondered a little how it would take you suddenly whether you'd start up or fall forward and if you would say anything you're a cheerful companion he grinned politely and afterwards just before the train stopped i had a splendid idea i began making my will you see i know something about investments i read about them every day 
in the boy's own paper we take in the standard in our school library and i have it all to myself unless there's a war on i've heard my father say often that it's a very reliable paper and so it is for i've tried it for two years now so if i left a will telling just how the twenty thousand ought to be invested it would open my father's eyes more than ever my dear sir said i don't be in a hurry serve out your time among the barbarians at school and i'll promise you in time your father's respectful astonishment these were my two boys and you may wonder why i always think of them together i do though and what is more i find that together they help to explain to me my country's greatness End of section 25